Welcome to the podcast from Plum Creek Community Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Thanks for downloading my dad. I hope as you listen, you are challenged and encouraged by his message. All right, you may be seated. New Year's cause us to think about our lives in a new way. Um, many of us begin to set goals for how we want to live different. And uh, no matter how long those goals last, I always believe that they're worth setting. Because if somebody doesn't set goals in their life, nothing is ever going to change. And there's no greater time to do that than in January. You know, I love this month and I love the opening weekend of a new year in 2014 because it gives us that opportunity to do that. Some of us may be setting goals when it comes to our finances. We want to handle those differently and and think about them in a whole new way. Some of us may be setting goals when it comes to um, what we eat. We may want to begin to eat differently. Uh, Maybe when it comes to exercise, you could begin to say some of the new goals I have this year when it comes to exercise or this. Um, Within your job that you're in, you're probably beginning to set goals now of what you want to accomplish in 2014. Well, we set goals in our own lives, and I think... It is just important for us to set goals in our lives spiritually. When we look back over the year, it's important for us to take a fresh look at our relationship with God and begin to say, what do I want to do different this year? And as I was thinking about that idea, at least for me and and maybe for many of you, I believe that one of the greatest areas that we could change is within our perspective of the Bible. I think a lot of times when it comes to the Bible, we lose sight of how precious of a gift this book is to us. It becomes a book that sits on our shelf or it's the app that's not opened anymore because we can so easily get consumed with life and lose sight of what a precious gift that God has given us through the Bible. I was starting to think about, if I had 10 minutes, what would I choose to do? If I had 10 free minutes in my life, and there was a ESPN, the magazine, or the opportunity to go to chicagosports.com, or I could open up a, a Bible app on an iPad and read for 10 minutes, what would I do? I think a lot of times I found myself drifting towards ESPN, the magazine, or um, some sort of Chicago sports app to be able to discover what uh, the new thing that's happened with the Chicago sports team. You know, there may be others of you in this room, if you had the opportunity to read about Downton Abbey starting season four, There's just a couple of you, I guess, that watch this show. Um, But they had a full front page article in the USA Today a few days ago about that particular show kicking off. Would you take the time, if you had 10 minutes, to read about that? Or would you take time to read the Bible? We oftentimes, I believe, forget about what the Bible really is. It just becomes a book to us. But what I would tell you guys this morning is that it's much more than that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says this. 
All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When you think about that, those first few words, all scripture is inspired by God. Isn't that amazing? That the Bible that is accessible probably more now than any other time in history was inspired by God for you. That should get chills going up and down your spine. That the God that created you and that created this world decided to give you a love letter to be able to know how to live your life. And if that's the case, I believe that we need to, more than ever, prioritize the word in 2014. Some versions actually talk about or or describe this or read this verse in such a way where it says that the Bible is God-breathed. And I like that. Because it's almost like God breathed life into the pages that we read so that we can understand how to live our lives. As this verse goes on, it says that the Bible is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Every single one of us want to be able to live a life that is right and that is good. And we're searching for what's the meaning of life. What should I do with my life? And the Bible provides those answers. And they all are at our fingertips. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, here's another part of it. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Did you know in Ephesians 2.10, it says that all of us were created for a purpose by God? He has a plan for each and every one of us. And if we really begin to prioritize the word within our lives, he's going to use that to prepare us to accomplish that plan on this earth. We need to prioritize the word within our lives in 2014. Because I believe that if we do this, our lives are going to be different. Well, how do we do it? How do we prioritize something within our lives? I was thinking about this, and my mind immediately went to my nine-year-old, Harrison. And he's in the verge right now, and he absolutely loves it. And there was one particular afternoon, Harrison and I were hanging out, and um, we, we were just looking for something to do. And I looked at him and I said, hey, bud. I said, I've got an idea. I said, do you know who Michael Jordan is? He's like, dad, I have no idea who that is. And I said, son, let me introduce you to the greatest basketball player of all time. So we hopped on YouTube and we watched every Chicago Bulls championship run. It took us an extended period of time, but I felt as though it was my responsibility as a dad to introduce him to Michael Jordan. Well, now the Chicago Bulls, because of that time uh, where we did that, are a priority within his life. Can I tell you this? He can tell you just about everything about the Chicago Bulls when it comes to facts about the Bulls. If you were to walk up to him and say, Harrison, tell me all the players on the Chicago Bulls right now. He could list off all 15 players. It's facts that he knows. 
You know, if you were to say, Harrison, you know, who's the, who's the player on the Bulls that scores the most points? He could tell you that. If you were to say, Harrison, you know, tell me the fact of, of who gets the most rebounds on the Bulls. He could tell you that. If we prioritize something in our lives, we're going to know facts about it. So let's think about this. Facts about the Bible. Fact number one. Did you know that this book is the best-selling book in the history of the world? Isn't that crazy? The Bible has sold more copies than 50 shades of gray. There's so many people that are searching for truth and trying to discover what that is. Fact number two. This book is also the most shoplifted book in the history of the world. So not only are people buying it, but they're also shoplifting it at every chance that they get. Let's continue on with the top ten facts about the Bible. Fact number three. The Bible has 66 books that are combined into one. It contains 773,692 words. Fact number four, it would take a person 70 hours to read the Bible out loud. That's a powerful thing. I remember being on a, on a retreat where the speaker said, what I would like you to do is read your favorite verse for the group. And after a couple hours of reading or of listening to so many different verses being read out loud, um, you truly could sense the presence of God there because it is the inspired word of God. He has breathed life into it for us. It's a powerful thing. Fact number five, the Bible was written by all sorts of people, politicians, statesmen, farmers, shepherds, Peasants, musicians, poets, and tax collectors. When I looked at that fact, I was reminded how, how God used people from all different aspects of life when it came to social classes to tell the world who he was. It defines the gospel, doesn't it? He came down to this earth and he died for every single one of us so that we could have forgiveness from our sins. Fact number seven, the Bible was written for all sorts of, of um, f- was written from all sorts of different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Luke while traveling, Paul in prison, John while he was in exile on the Isle of Potomac. Fact number eight, the Bible was on three different continents was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Next fact, the Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Fact number nine, the Bible covers an absolute ton of topics. Sex, when is it okay? The Bible tells us. Marriage, how should a husband treat his wife? Or how should a wife treat her husband. The Bible tells us in Ephesians. Remarriage, when is it okay? The Bible gives us answers. Adultery, the Bible discusses it and talks about it. Lust, greed, guilt, materialism, generosity, healing, hope, 
forgiveness, parenting are just to name a few of the topics that the Bible discovers. It truly is a book that can help us to figure out how we should live our lives. Lastly, fact number 10. Even though the Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years, it has amazing accuracy and consistency when it comes to the character of God in His redemptive plan for us. I want everybody to read aloud 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says this. Let's read it all together. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Well, that's some facts about the Bible. And if we want to prioritize it within our life, we probably need to know those facts. And you could discover even more facts if you studied on your own. Well, I know that there's some of you in this room that may be thinking to yourselves, well, is the Bible reliable? Is it a book that I can trust? And I don't want just somebody standing up front telling me that the Bible is reliable and you could trust it. But is there some other way that you could test this Bible, this historical document, to see if it's really uh, something that I could buy into. I know that there's some of you in this room that may think, you know what, I know that it's reliable, but I sure would love um, some other tools or ways to be able to tell someone else that it's reliable. And there may be some of you in this room that are searching and trying to figure that out for yourself. Well, there was a historian by the name of Steve Sanders in 1952 who fell into this uh, trap of saying, you know what, how on earth can I tell whether or not a document, a historical document is accurate or not? And so what he did was he developed a test that can be used on any historical document to be able to see if it's, if it's really reliable or not. That test consists of three parts. There's the internal test, the external test, and the bibliographic test. Well, the first test that we'll put the Bible through to see if it's really a reliable book and if this book is really something we need to prioritize within the new year is the internal test. Now, this test is this. Do the writers of the Bible claim that their writings are true? Basically, do the people who wrote the Bible say, it's just a story, I just made it up, or no, I was there, I saw it, and this is accurate. I was thinking about a way to illustrate this idea. And if I were to write about Plum, Plum Creek's opening weekend here in this building, I was here. And I would have had an eyewitness account of it. How many of you were here on that weekend? It was an incredible weekend. You know, if, if I were to start writing, I would say, you know what, I remember... At 8 a.m. in the morning, how the excitement was already building here. Where there was close to 100 volunteers out in the, in the fellowship area waiting to be placed as greeters, parking lot attendants, and, and children's ministry volunteers who were excited to see um, what God would do uh, through Plum Creek Community Church on this opening weekend. You know, I would be able to write that because I saw it and I was there. 
how the parking lot attendants came in after that first service and they parked 50 to 60 extra cars than there were spaces for. Somehow, some way, they did it. I was there. I saw them. I saw them talking about it and how they did it. How in the first service, people were running all over the building looking for chairs to be able to seat people in this room. I saw it and I could write about it. And because of the fact that I saw it, it was going to make it a whole lot more believable for me to write it. Write it write all about it. How Doug and Beth and, and the worship team and everybody did an incredible job with the service. And how God's presence was there and how every single person who called Plum Creek home knew that this was the starting line. How God was going to continue to do incredible things. Well, does the Bible have any verses in it that say that those that wrote it were eyewitnesses of who Jesus was? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's Peter talking. Isn't that cool? When you start to think about the Bible, the people that wrote about Jesus, they saw him. They saw him restore sight to people. They saw him heal the lame. They saw what he did for us when he died for us on the cross. That should excite you. The fact that you are able to open up your Bible and read about Jesus, the Son of God, and know within your mind that the writers of it were eyewitnesses. It's amazing. The Bible most definitely passes Sanders' internal test. There was an external test as well that he said needed to be done on historical documents. What is the external test? Well, uh, it wants to answer the question, what do outside sources say about the Bible? In other words, what do non-biblical sources say about the Bible? Do they confirm Bible stories? Or do they say, well, those aren't really true? If you were to look at Roman writers, Greek writers, and also from other Jewish sources, all of these sources write about the fact that Jesus was really here. And he really did what the Bible said that he did. There was a famous first century historian as well by the name of Josephus, who oftentimes within his writings talked about Jesus. When it comes to archaeology... For a long period of time, there wasn't a lot of archaeological sources that would say or prove that the Bible was true. But in the 20th century, that actually changed. There began to become more and more discoveries um, on the archaeological front that showed and pointed to the fact that the Bible was really true. One archaeologist said this, It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. It's pretty cool. Not only are there internal sources that point to the fact that the Bible is reliable, but there's also external sources outside of the Bible. And if you're anything like me, where you get a little skeptical of, you know, hey, you know, the Bible says it's true. Is there anything else outside of it that says it's true? There are. There are all sorts of writings that you can find that point 
to who Jesus was outside of the Bible. And there's all sorts of archaeological finds that begin to show that what you read in the Bible is true and accurate. The last test that Sanders said uh, um, a historical document needs to go through in order to see if it's reliable is the bibliographic test. Now, this test was one that was done to where someone would see how many copies of an original manuscript could be found of a historical book. The more copies that could be found, the more likelihood um, a book was accurate. I was trying to think of some way to illustrate this a little bit. And so I thought about just the idea of sticky memos. At the end of last year's playoff run, if someone took a sticky memo and they made a manuscript out of it and they said the Broncos lost to the Ravens in the playoffs. Sorry, this is a terrible illustration, isn't it? This year's a new year, okay? And they stuck it on a wall. Well, the way that historians would make sure that that sticky memo was accurate was they would want to see how many copies of that sticky memo they could find or manuscripts. So the more sticky memos that said the Broncos lost to the Ravens in the playoffs that could be found, then they would realize or believe that that manuscript was accurate. Now, when it comes to historical documents, one of the most famous and most proven historical documents that they can find was the Iliad by Homer. Now, all of us probably have suffered through reading the Iliad when we were in high school. I was an English major, and I absolutely hated reading that thing. It was the most boring thing I ever had to read in my life. Now, there were 643 copies of the Iliad that were found. Now, guess how many copies of the New Testament have been discovered? Somebody guess. Thousand? Okay, somebody else. It's a good guess. Twenty-four thousand copies of the New Testament have been found. The Bible definitely passes the bibliographic test, and it could be considered to be reliable. Altogether, let's read Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen through seventeen out loud. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Well, if we want to prioritize the word in 2014, we need to know some facts about it. And we talked about those facts. We need to know that this, this book, the Bible, is reliable. And if we look at Sanders' test, the Bible passes with flying colors. And I don't think that it just stops there. I think the next thing that we really need to do is invest our time and energy in studying the Word of God. I've asked Gary and Doug to come up, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how they study the Bible. Doug, I think it would be um, just good if we could start with you. And um, I know that you have a certain Bible study method 
um, that you have used, and if you could just talk about that, and then I know Gary's got a lot to contribute. Sure, Andy well. uh, shared these uh, top ten facts about the Bible that, that are just intriguing and important for us to know. I heard a story as well that is also one of the, uh, to me, one of the most intriguing facts about the Bible. Uh, and the best way to kind of share that with you is a story. I've told this story, I think it was five years ago. But it must have been here in Colorado, so let's just start with that. But after a service, <clears throat> a pastor was uh, just uh, greeting some folks and praying with people. And this gentleman came up, and he was a little rough around the edges. Uh, came up to the pastor, and he just said, hey, listen, your message, boy, that really, that really touched me today. And he said, well, could I pray with you? And he said, well, sure, I guess you can pray with me. And so they got done praying. He said, you know, I, I just uh, question. He said, do you, do you have a Bible? And he chuckled. He said, I just no. I don't have a Bible. He said, I'd love to, to give you a Bible. And, and the guy said, listen, I'll just be as honest as I can with you. I mean, you're a pastor. I don't want to lie to you. He said, the only thing I've ever done with a Bible is use its pages to, to roll joints. And the pastor said, well, pardon me? This is a Colorado thing, right? And so <clears throat> he said, uh, to roll joints? And he said, yeah. He said, if you give me a Bible, that's more than likely what I'm going to do with those pages. And he said, listen, I'll make you a deal. He said, I'd love to still give you a Bible, and maybe um, before you roll a joint, if that's what you choose to do, you read what's on the page before, before you do that. And he said, okay, deal. I'll take the Bible. And uh, he saw him a couple years later. The guy showed back up at church and totally different, totally different disposition. His whole face was like, what? What happened? He goes, oh, dude, it's like the greatest assignment you ever could give anybody. He's like, what do you mean? He said, I got to tell you, he said, I smoked through Matthew. <laughs> He's like, I smoked through Mark. He said, I smoked through Luke and then John smoked me. <laughs> Truth be told, guys, uh, I don't recommend you do that. I do recommend you read uh, what's in the Bible. And so I want to just share with you a couple things that I think will help. Um, first of all, if you have not downloaded the Version app on your smartphone, you must it's one of the most downloaded apps in the world. If you don't have that on, on your phone, you need to do, do that today when you get home. Don't do it right now because you'll crash our system, everybody doing that at the same time. But uh, make sure that you, you download that app. Great reading plans. Explore it a little bit. Read about it online. It's a very powerful. As a matter of fact, I'm doing one of their reading plans right now on uh, the importance of having margin in your life. And so there are lots of different really neat uh, Bible reading. And then you've got it with you pretty much wherever you go, which is so awesome uh, with that app. We want to share with you a quick, a quick method that we use, and Gary and I are going to elaborate on it a little bit. And so if you have your notes, if you could just write uh, horizontally or vertically on your paper, sorry, write the word soap on there. And soap is something that as parents we encourage our kids to use every day because it cleans us up, right? It helps us to be clean. And uh, I want you to remember this method. I think it will be helpful as we head into 2014 to think about how we read the Word of God. So the first, uh, this is an acrostic, so the first S, or the S in the beginning, starts for Scripture. So you need to pick a good place to start. We'll talk about that here just in a second. And then as you're reading, you pick a verse, or a couple of verses, and you make sure, and I, I do this journaling, write the verse down that, you, that impressed you the most, or that you think was challenging you the most. Uh, so you want to start with that, for sure. Gary, why don't you talk a little bit about some good places, perhaps, for people that maybe want to do this, that haven't done this before, maybe someone's just saying, man, okay, I'm in this year, I want to get it, give this a shot. Where should they start? Yeah. A couple of good places to start. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Doug told us about. 
Uh, John is often mentioned as a uh, as a popular uh, place uh, to begin, but actually any of any of those uh, they're they're narratives, and so uh, th- there's nothing really uh, out of the ordinary in the language. It's not like you're reading the Book of Revelation where there's all these apocalyptic terms being described, and uh, so so the Gospels are a great place because you're just reading a story, you're reading a historical account, as Andy uh, gave uh, 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 an example of. And, and, and just kind of get you, what you want to do or what I try to do, and I, I think it's a good principle, is we want to find out what was the original author trying to say. And, uh, and so you just kind of ask that question because all scripture, as we see on the verse, all scripture is inspired by God. But when the author wrote what he wrote, he had one original meaning. He was writing a letter. He was telling a story uh, to a group of people that were going to get what he was writing. And so you want to try your best to get to the original meaning, and uh, you can do that, like I said, in a narrative pretty easily because oftentimes the authors are kind of sharing what they were thinking or feeling or the circumstances that were going on. Uh, When you move into some of the other literature in the Bible, like wisdom, uh, things like the book of Ecclesiastes, or I mentioned Revelation, uh, poetry, the Psalms, uh, it is wise, I believe, that, that that's when you kind of move into a commentary or go online and find a good online uh, commentary like blueletterbible.org and, and look at what the experts have done all the research on to find out what is happening in that kind of literary form. Uh, when somebody writes a poem, that is not the same as writing history. They're going to use words and language and metaphors and things are going to be exaggerated. Uh, and so you want to try and get to the original meaning. So that, that's a great place to start. Are there any books that you could recommend to people that would help them to be able to discover their original intent of Scripture or, or anything um, along those lines? Well, Blue Letter Bible is, is my favorite. It's online. You don't have to you know, carry the book around with you. Um, they have an app as well. Yep. So you can... And, uh, and you know, the NIV, uh, NIV study ex- expository commentary, expositor's commentary is another popular one that I like. Um, the good news is that on that blueletterbible.org, there are hundreds of resources. And so if you familiarize yourself with that, you can find a verse and then click on different translations of that verse. You can click on the, the etymology of the words that are involved in that. So you can study the Greek and the Hebrew and the meanings of those words. You could, there's lots of... It's, it's like a limitless resource that you could use for that. There's another great website uh, called Precept Austin. Uh, so if you uh, just write that one down, favorite it on your whatever browser you use, and then you can go there and take a look. It's, it's more to help with an inductive style of, re- of, of Bible uh, study. So there's lots of resources available there. Um, there's another one I think it's called Crosswalk, I think, is another website that's really, really good. So there's, there's a ton of resources that are totally free. You used to have to buy software to have that information available. And I don't have Bible software loaded on my computer because it's all online now. So it's an awesome way for you to be able to study. So let's move to the O in the soap. The next thing is to make observations, which there's probably a reason why that verse stuck out to you as you were reading. So the, uh, the letter O stands for you observing. So you take a look and you say, God, what is it that you're showing me in this verse? How can I... And this goes to some of the things Gary was saying. Think about the the author's original intent, and you're observing that. And we're going to just kind of move through these quick now. Uh, A would be for application. How does this particular verse apply to my life? What can I do today? There's a lot of people that are real biblical smarty pantses that never apply the Bible to their lives, and they're not smarty pantses. They're really stupid. 
Because the Bible is meant to be a book that challenges you, and it is meant to be a book that, like Andy is saying, will help you to be able to have a changed life. If you just know a lot about the Bible, but it hasn't changed the way you live, it hasn't changed your heart, it hasn't changed your relationships, it hasn't changed your care for the lost, then you're not reading the Bible well. And so we need to think of ways that it applies to us. And I would, I would make this specific. Don't make this too general and too vague. Today, when I'm at work, or today as I'm interacting with my husband or my wife, or today in my relationship with my children, or whatever it is that that verse is hitting you with, this is how this applies to my life. And then, Gary, why don't you walk us through just a little bit, too, at the end, the, the P stands for prayer, which is such a vital part of this process. After we've found this scripture and we've observed it, we've thought very carefully about how it applies to our life, we need to now then pause for a moment and just pray through this. So, Gary, can you talk how we even pray through scripture real quick? Sure. Well, and, and I would say when, you, when you're finding the application, obviously that's what that, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets personal. And uh, several years ago, Rick Warren uh, put together an acrostic. I won't remember them all, so I won't even give it to you. But uh, maybe we'll post it uh, on the website later. But ask questions of whatever you just read and whatever God's been speaking to you about. Ask questions. Okay, what I just read, is there a command in there that I'm supposed to obey? I'm going to pray about that. Is there a prayer in there that that I could pray? Well, then I'll pray that. Is there an attitude that I need to change? When I read that verse, wow, that's me. Is there a a promise to claim? Is there something to give God praise for? So as you're reading whatever you choose to read, ask questions of, of, of of the passage and then just pray about it. Uh, like uh, like Doug said, if, if you're, well, let's just use this example. All scripture is inspired by God. God, today, help me to remember uh, that that scripture is inspired by you. That means it is trustworthy, as Andy's been telling us. And, and it's useful to teach us what is true and, and to realize what's wrong in our lives. Uh, that is something that I need. Uh, that, that, is a, that is a truth to claim. That there is stuff in the Bible all over that I can make useful in my life. God hasn't left us, you know, uh, orphans to not have resources to help us. Uh, God's going to use it to equip me. Again, just ask the questions. Is there something in here that I can be learning from and apply it to my life? It's good. I do that almost every morning. This morning I was laying down in front of the fireplace and I, a couple of verses stood out to me when I was reading this morning and I just did just as Gary said. I just prayed through the verse. Lord, Thank you for your reminder, and here's, here's the thing today that I want to pray through, and I'm actually praying those scriptures over my life and over my family and over you guys, over our town, that uh, God would help us to be able to take these truths of scripture and make them real in our lives so that we're all different because of it. This is a really important thing. Thanks, guys. We're going to wrap up our service today. Um, can you guys thank Andy, first of all? It's awesome. It's, uh, it's pretty pretty amazing experience to be able to do ministry and to have uh, fun doing what God's called us to do together as a family. Uh, there are four of us kids in our family, and all four of us are in the ministry. Isn't that cool? And uh, it's fun to have Emily on staff, to be able to have Andy come, and you guys have met my brother Matt before. Can you guys just thank my mom? She's right here. Like, that's, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. <clears throat> 
I want to uh, thank those of you that have already uh, participated in giving online. We want to thank you for doing that. We've had an incredible year. We're going to talk more about that in the next uh, couple of weeks as we gather together. Um, God's been very, very faithful, and uh, we've, we've climbed some, some pretty steep hills together, and I'll share some things with you about that during our State of the Church address in a couple weeks, and excited to be able to report back on a lot of those things. Uh, take a look at our announcements for this week. Good morning, Plum Creek Church. Hope 2014 is treating everyone well. wanted to take just a few minutes to let you know about some events and opportunities happening here at Plum Creek Church. First off, we'd like to thank everyone who participated in our end-of-year Christmas offering. Together, we raised $36,750, over $6,000 above our initial goal. Of those funds, 40% is going to Project Rescue in Delhi, India, 40% is going to The Factory, our church plant partner in Atlanta, and the final 20% is being given back to local charitable ministries. Thanks again for your generous giving. On the weekend of January 24th and 25th, we'll be having what we're calling a saturation event. Over the course of eight hours, spread over two days, we will be reading the entire Bible throughout the church building. Plum Creekers and their families are invited to participate by reading from different books of the Bible in different parts of our building at the same time. When we are done, the entire building will have been saturated with God's Word. This is a great way to get involved as an individual or as a family. Sign up for a time slot today in the atrium near the fireplace. Our men's basketball league is starting very soon. Men, this is an opportunity to etch your name into church league basketball history. Men's league games are on Monday nights, and if you're seven feet tall, it's required that you participate. More information and sign-ups are available at the Connection Corner. And finally, if you'd like more information about Plum Creek or anything you've heard here today, stop by the Connection Corner in the atrium or visit us online at PlumCreekOnline.com. There you can find information about events, online giving opportunities, this and previous week's messages, and much more. And make sure you connect with us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date on all things Plum Creek. Thanks, you guys, so much for your faithfulness. Isn't it awesome we made our goal? We exceeded our goal. God is good. God is good. It's good stuff. If you think about it, pray for uh, Pastor Keith, our, our, our friend, dear friend, my dear friend, who will be launching his church next weekend. That's going to be very exciting in Atlanta. So this will be, as I know well, a very, very stressful week in his life. And uh, he could use some uh, extra prayer from his Plum Creek family. also want to remind you, this is a saturation event. is something that was birthed in our hearts a long time ago. And we felt it's a very appropriate Sunday to be talking about that as we've been talking about the importance of the Word of God. And so our plan is to read through the entire Bible together in eight hours all over this building. And so there's not going to be anybody recording you, uh, but we need people to sign up for this. And so as you're leaving today, head over towards the fireplace, and you'll be able to uh, talk with Janice there, who's helping with the registration. You can sign up for a time slot, come to the church, read for 15 minutes, and then head out. Maybe you want to sign up for more than one. We're going to read through the Bible together in eight hours all over this building. That's awesome. What a great idea. So we need, obviously need your help to be able to do that. Will you stand to your feet? <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for Andy's challenge today to make sure that we're including uh, a passionate pursuit of the Word of God in our lives in 2014. As we allow that to be part of our focus here as a church, 
How, Lord, even as we do this saturation event and as we make a commitment to reading your word during this, uh, this year that is ahead of us, God, I pray that it would be more than just an exercise in reading, but that it will be a spiritual exercise in seeing our hearts and our lives changed. Lord, will you do that for us? Will you help the word of God to come alive? And when we read it, may it be as though you're sitting next to us talking to us. We thank you for a chance to be together to celebrate. God, we pray for the greatest year in the history of our church and of the churches here in this in this uh, Plum Creek Valley. We love you, Lord. Go with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next Sunday.